This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, everybody. Well, we are starting this a little bit late um, because we had some technical difficulties, but I'm so glad that you're here. I'm taking a minute right now to share this to um, my events page and some other pages, just so as many people um, can watch it as possible. But I'm here with Beverly. Hi, Beverly. Hi. Thank Good you. to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, for doing this with me today. Beverly is going to... Um, Oh, shoot. I got to close it out. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, yeah. So we're here today to talk about, um, to talk about my book, to talk about, you know, the vision behind it. And I decided to have someone interview me because it'd be weird to interview myself. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to hand it over to Bev because she is a professional and, um, she knows what she's doing. And if you have questions, first of all, pop on, say, hi, I'm going to do a giveaway, um, of a one copy of the book. Uh, if you're here and you leave a comment, you could win it. So, um, so yeah, so let's, let's get going, Bev. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I thought even as we start this conversation, it would be helpful to give some context. So you and I have known each other now for over 10 years. I don't even remember. It was probably 2005 we met or something like that. 2006. We're not saying how old we are, (laughs) like, you know, but (laughs) it was a long time ago. And so our work circles aligned. And so we met each other through work, but also through work, we found out that we were both Christians. So we've talked about faith over the years. Um, We've gone through marriages and you've gone through kids and just different things. And I remember when you had your first book out, um, Leaving Cloud Nine. So I'm excited about book two and also just very specifically about this topic, which I think is really important. And it's talking about women and the church. So the name of the book is Reason to Return why women need the church and the church needs women. So that is coming. Give me the, the date again next January week. January 17th, 17th. Tuesday, January 17th. Yeah. So a week from today. So you can pre-order it, but get it now. And I just think this is such an important topic, not just as a whole, but especially during the era of COVID where so many people stopped going to church for, for a while due to no fault of their own um, and where we are today. But I thought as we talk about just women and the church, would love to hear a little bit about just your faith, your background, as far as church goes, just to give context for the conversation. Yeah, totally. Uh, Well, I went to church most of my life. And in fact, I start the book talking about my first memory of church, which is in a nursing home, which is maybe not what you would think or expect. Like most people maybe would think of just a traditional church, but my mom took us um, a lot of Sundays to the nursing home where she was a volunteer for those church services. And um, I thought it was really special to start the book out that way because Um, Number one, it shows a non-traditional kind of church, which is one of the messages I want to tell people like, hey, it doesn't have to be what it's always been, where you've always gone. Um, And number two, it kind of showcases, you know, what a big difference in my life that my mom made by simply making this commitment to take us to church. It maybe wasn't something she thought about like, oh, this is going to completely change, you know, her life or their lives and my sisters and I, but honestly, it has made all the difference. And so I give so much credit to my mom. She 
is the kind of person that never wants to be in the spotlight. So um, she would never, you know, say that she did anything, but um, it's really a, a thank you to her so much in the beginning. But outside of that experience, um, I've gone to a variety of different churches over my life on and off. There's definitely been times when I was absent from church and I write about those times and why that was and what it meant to me. Um, and times I was hurt by the church. So, but we can get more into that, but um, that's sort of a little bit of my church history. And so why don't we do a dive into the data as a whole, as far as how many women currently go to church and has that number gone down since COVID, but also due to other factors, even prior to COVID? Yeah, well, numbers in general for church attendance, as probably most people know, have been going down for the last 10, 20 years, um, even more than that. Um, so that's that's a little disheartening. But what I found that was sort of the um, the you know energy behind why I wrote this book is I saw that women specifically were leaving the church at faster rates than men in the past 10 years. So something like 16 million or more women have left in the past 10 years. And I just was intrigued by that because I thought, well, why are women leaving faster than men? Traditionally, men have been dropouts faster. Women are seen as more faithful. In fact, more women go to church than men in general in the United States. So when I saw that women were leaving faster, I was like, well, what's going on? And then at the same time, I ran into some statistics that said, but it, but women are also saying that they want to have a better and deeper faith life, yet they're not taking the actions to do that, or maybe they don't even realize that um, it can be done in a different way. And so that was sort of the impetus behind me uh, starting to draft this book out and praying about it. And I really felt at that moment when I found that set of statistics, I really felt like God was saying to me, this is the book. This is the one I had been searching out what, what the next book would be. And I was pretty solid and clear on that. The, the moment I ran into those numbers. So what can you tell us as to the reason, how can it at one hand there, it seems like this uh, contradictory set of data points, which is women want to be more connected to their faith, but yet they don't want to go to church. What is the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so I think what what we will find in American culture is that we're becoming less and less of a Christian culture. And so whereas in the past, like church was more of a, we do this, this is something we do as a family, or this is something that we do um, as part of American society, that is less of a thing that happens now. Um, and I think people are starting to see like, hey, I don't really have to do this if I don't want to, especially with COVID, we still haven't seen attendance rates go back up to what they were prior to COVID, they're up to about 85%. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that people are wanting to leave their faith. They're not like deconverting and becoming atheists. Like that, that's sometimes a sort of a, a myth that people believe, but it's it's definitely not true. And so I think people are leaving spaces that they've maybe outgrown that um, were not beneficial for them, where they where they weren't growing, um, where they weren't able to serve in a way that their gifts were being used but they're not recognizing that there's another place to take that. Like they're, they're not filling that hole that they've left with anything else. And so what I'm talking about and reason to return is um, there are a whole variety of options out there available to you. And it doesn't have to look the way it always did. Like the subtitle, the, the original subtitle for the book was um, uh, the church of your past doesn't have to be the church of your future. Because I just saw so many people that like went to one place and then never tried another place again. A lot of times I saw this with friends who had grown up Catholic and they just weren't trying anything new. And I said, you know, there's a lot of options out there in terms of 
Christianity and Christian churches and where you can go. And so that was sort of my underlying message as I went into this. Yeah, I I can even say from personal experience after moving during COVID, I left Washington, D.C., moved to South Carolina, and now I've lived in two different areas in South Carolina since then. I probably have tried about 20 different churches. And and I will say it's it's good. It's refreshing. Um, I do think it's important to find one and stick to it. But we, my husband and I just recently moved, so we're in the church hunt again. But it, it is interesting to see how different places do church. So in this book, does it talk about when we we you use the word church, how do we define it? Is it the people? Is it at the building? Is it the way that they worship? When we talk about going to church, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it it can be confusing at first because we've got the big C church, which is the universal church that if you are Christian, you are part of that. You really can't leave that church as a, as a believer in Christ. Um, But the local church is sort of that um, that that smaller um, entity of the larger church that we are all called to to gather. And, um, you know, you look at if, when you look at the Bible, um, I, I this is something that I never really noticed until I was writing this book. But like when God's talking about his people, he's talking about his people. He's not usually talking about an individual. When Paul is writing letters, he's writing letters to the churches because it's assumed that people are gathering together and that original word church is ecclesia and ecclesia means a gathering of people. And so it does get conflated with the building sometimes because we do have to meet somewhere. And oftentimes that is a building. Um, but the experience of church and when I, and what I'm talking about, when I'm saying being part of church, I often say, uh, being part of a faith community because it kind of, uh, relays what I'm saying more clearly, um, because going to church for one hour on a Sunday morning at a building and like leaving and not having anything else going on as related to church for you, that's not really going to church. That's not really being part of a faith community because you're not invested with the people. You don't have any commitments, accountability, anything like that. Um, but when I'm talking about church, I'm talking about, um, you know, gathering with people, relying on people, worshiping God together, learning from one another, hearing the scriptures together. Um, and so that's what I mean. And that could be three people in a living room, or it can be a thousand people in a mega church. Um, it, it's, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of finding what works for you and your particular place that you're at right now. And do you find through some of the day that you looked at about women leaving church was part of that because it was almost like they just went and did check their, their list. Okay. I went to church, did that, but it, it was hard to be able to invest for a wide variety of reasons. I know family developments are, are different these days. So it probably is harder for a single mom to go to church or a single person than going as a family. Um, yeah. is there an element where it just became for so many women, they know, they knew that they cared about their faith. They wanted to go to church, but it just became more of a transactional thing than a relational thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, what was interesting to me is a lot of people point to deconstruction. They point to, um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I'm, I'm forgetting, but a lot of people are pointing to like, oh, people are leaving the church because of politics, deconstruction, all these things. And, and that is true. But what I found is like really the more significant reasons that people are leaving are more practical lifestyle types of things. Um, whether that's busyness, um, whether that's because Sunday morning is the only moment of reprieve you have as a family. Like I can, you know, as a mom, like I can tell you how busy life is. And like Sunday mornings really are the only time that like, there's nothing going on. 
Um, it's also, you know, if you don't have a husband or a partner that's going with you, it is really hard to get kids out the door. Um, there's a lot of apprehension about, you know, entering a church space. A lot of people feel, you know, they, whether or not it's warranted, they feel judged or they feel like they will be judged. Um, and single women and single moms both are, are two of the highest, they are the highest um, demographics of women that are leaving the church. Um, a lot of times because they don't feel seen, they don't feel like the church is um, sort of advocating for them. And that may be true in some spaces. I do think churches are getting better, but I think it's always important that we're thinking about those people, those other populations that are not families. And, and it's one of the reasons that I've I don't think I wrote that much about this particular thing in the book, but we need women like in every part of like leadership in the church so that those perspectives are being heard. Now, this is not a book about complementarianism versus egalitarianism. I'm not talking about that. Um, sometimes people think, so I'm not getting into that debate, but my point here is that so many times in the past, we've seen all male staffs, um, you know, preaching and inadvertently, like they're not doing it on purpose, but like they're preaching to men because they are men. And we need the voices of women in leadership teams so that all women in all their different spaces in life can be seen and heard. And I think that's an improvement that can be made and is being made in a lot of places. One of the things I thought about because I was single for so long, so I, I can feel the single side of it very acutely is I remember thinking about the Bible and how the Bible talks a lot about caring for widows and obviously that's an important thing. And I thought about society today, and we're going to have plenty of women who never marry that the church is going to have to care for. So I think this idea of people not marrying the singleness is a new wave that the church is going to have to deal with. And I don't think they've fully developed what to do. I agree with you. I think it's getting better, but it's just, it's a new problem that people aren't finding people to marry. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you know, it's like, it's like the classic, what do you always think of as like, oh, the singles ministry at church, but it's like the college all, age. I, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if they still do that or call it that, but it's like, <laughs> you know, a 22 year old single person is not the same as a 42 year old right. single person. Like, and so you have to have different um, avenues for that. And again, it depends on the church. And, you know, one of the things I talk about is how important it is to have like intergenerational diversity at churches. I think that is something that's overlooked a lot of times. And so, for example, at my church, um, I go to a pretty small church. And so when we have small groups, sometimes it can be like sometimes the people with kids get grouped together. But a lot of times it's I'm sitting across like we have a friend at church who's like 82 years old and I'm sitting across from him. And um, it's it's, you know, making small groups with people in all different stages of life. I think that is actually the best way to learn and disciple one another. Um, and so as, as much as awesome as like topical small groups can be, and I'm not against them by any means, I think it's important that we're making like making intentional time for people in all different stages of life to um, be like communing with one another, because there's so much value that each of us can add to the other, that if we only silo ourselves off according to like what particular life stage we're in, we're like missing so much. And so I think one answer to that problem is just to to intentionally combine these different diverse groups of people. And so before we get into what do you do if you're in this camp of, I haven't been to church for a while and I don't know how to go back, or I've had issues with the church and fill in the blank, we'll get into some of those issues. Let's talk about the benefits of meeting with a faith community. So what is it that we find helps people um, in their faith and probably just helps them with overall uh, as, as, 
I guess, even how they feel about themselves, the emotional, the physical, the mental side, as well as the spiritual side of meeting with a family of believers? Yeah, well, I will say that, you know, this can, like this subject can be kind of touchy. I learned that um, when I first started doing TikTok this year, and I got a lot of mean comments about it. Um, but so I will say, you know, we're talking to people who consider themselves Christians. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, then this may not make sense or apply to you. So I'll just put that caveat out there. Um, but assuming that the people that are like reading this book are, you know, do consider themselves Christians or want to be Christians, um, please know that, um, the first thing I would say is that like God created us for this community. It says in the Bible um, that we were made for this spiritual community. And, and one of the things that I, I love about God in the Bible is that community was there from day one, from, from the moment the earth was created, it was God, um, the Holy spirit and Jesus, the son were there at the beginning of the earth. And, you know, they say like we created, um, it's not an I, and so I think that's really cool. And also what we know from the Bible is that we all have a unique spiritual gift or two or three. And those unique spiritual gifts um, were created by God to work in community with others in a faith community. And it says that the body is not um, complete without every single one of us there. And so I think that's the first thing to think. And when, you, oh, the other thing is like, if you're not there and you're not using your gift, like you're also like holding back from someone else. Someone else is not benefiting from what the, the gift is that God has given you. So that's one thing. Um, now, the second thing would just be, you know, strictly looking at the data, we see that people that go to church on a regular basis, and by that, I pretty much mean weekly. And it, the distinction does matter when you look at the numbers. Um, people that go to church on a weekly basis are in general, significantly happier. They're healthier, even they have like better heart health, mental health. Um, they have better relationships and um, they're also more generous. They're more civically involved, all of these things. Now it doesn't mean it's like a magic switch. You go to church, you become this like amazing person. Um, <laughs> but just over time, it shows that going to church sort of builds you up and shapes you and forms you into being probably the kind of person you want to be. And so when we see people leaving church, that really takes away not only from your life and your family's life, but ultimately it starts to contribute to the downfall of communities and society and the world. And I know that's not like the most compelling thing to get someone to walk into the church door, but I do find that information really fascinating and something to keep in mind about how, you know, long-term these little things are going to affect your life. Um, but in addition to that, it just, it provides a buffer to the, like the darkness of the world. There are so many people that are living in isolation right now. Uh, one of the things that I have recently participated in is a, a ceremony for, you know, a bunch of people that died and nobody claimed their bodies. They didn't have any family members to identify them or give them a funeral or memorial service. Um, if you're a member of a church, that's not going to happen to you. I'm not saying that's like the big fear that we should all be thinking about right now, but it goes to show you that people are living lives um, disconnected and many of them are um, really suffering in that way men with mental illness and things like that. And so having a community of believers around you just offers so much in the way of support, love, kindness. Um, people want to help you. They really do. And um, it may be hard to believe that sometimes, but that is the truth. I was even thinking that one of the 
the things that you just mentioned there, just this idea of being able to help others and think about someone else. And I think so much of society tells us right now that we have to look inside ourselves, that you have to be happy with you. You have to love yourself, but it actually can be a prison, um, can lead people to depression the more they focus on themselves. And that church automatically, not only are you focusing on God and focusing on truth, but just by interacting with other people where you're going to be in, in a room full of people where a lot of people are having struggles at that point in time, or you're going to be praying about struggles. And so it, it's this way to take the focus off of you and think about others, which I do think in general, when you give, so it's more blessed to give than to receive and be there for someone else. I think that helps your overall um, happiness and joy, because I think we were created to be able to do that for each other. Yeah. And I mean, I think you see this everywhere. Like you don't have to go to church to be a part of a community. Of course, you don't have to go to church to be generous. And many people are very generous that don't go to church. That's not to say. Um, but I think it's like the reason that community and relationships matter to everyone, regardless of where you stand on religion is because we are made in God's image and he is a, a figure of a community. And so we all have that like innate need for people in our lives. Um, and so I, I think that's like something to point out, but also, um, there's something about faith community that has a, a supernatural component. And, you know, the Bible says when two or three are gathered that, that he is with them. So, you know, God is all around us all the time. Right. But when two or three are gathered and they're talking about the baseball game, it's not really the same thing as when two or three are gathered in the name of God to talk about him, to worship him, to learn. Um, and he shows up and I, I couldn't say this for a fact, but I do believe that, you know, in church, uh, the gathering of people, that's one of God's favorite places to be. And I feel the Holy Spirit in ways um, that I don't feel him any other time when I'm in the midst of a gathering of believers. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, it's because it's, it's, it's like, um, as somebody, I wrote this in the book, uh, somebody wrote in one of a quote is like, uh, the church is uh, an embassy of heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. And so when you walk into the church doors um, for a moment, you get to experience that heavenly gathering that we will one day be a part of. And I think that's so cool because it's like the U.S. embassy in you know Ethiopia, like technically you're in the U.S. when you're in the U.S. embassy. And so technically you are in heaven when you walk inside the doors of a church. And that is the coolest concept. I had never thought of it that way until I was doing research and I found that quote and I can't stop thinking about it ever since. Now, what if somebody listening right now is saying, well, Erica, that all sounds wonderful, but my experience of church has been very different. Maybe somebody is thinking I've been hurt by the church in X way. Maybe they find that they don't know how to go to church, even though they believe in God because they see people as fallible, which we all are. So what do you say to somebody who's been hurt by the church and can't promise they won't be hurt again because it's filled with imperfect people? What do you say to that person who's struggling to, to process that? I, I say that if you've been hurt by the church, um, I'm really sorry. And it really breaks my heart that someone would abuse their power or, um, you know, kind of go out of the way to, to, to lead you astray. I mean, I, God says that, you know, those who are leading us in, in ministry, they have like a, a, like an even stronger responsibility. Like they have to be held to a higher standard than like just your typical Christian. And so for, for someone to have done that, to you is really a grave sin and it really breaks God's heart and it's not what he wanted for you. And I'm really sorry. Um, I would say that there is no rush to get back and like find the perfect place. Um, one of the things I've learned and I write about in the book is that um, 
everything is a process. I, I kind of compare it to, and, and I'll see if I can set up, set up this example to be clear. So I talk about how when I was overcoming an eating disorder years ago, I, I read this book called Overcoming Overeating. And in the book, the first uh, step that you're supposed to take is, okay, for two weeks, you're supposed to eat whatever you want as much as you want. And that's really scary to someone that was going through what I was going through. I was like, this is like, what? Like, there's no rules. There's nothing. And I, but, you know, I kind of followed that path. And what, what I realized is that when I took away the shoulds, when I took away the, you have to do it this way, you know, all the rules, then I had the freedom to actually explore what I actually wanted. I had the freedom to actually hear what God was saying to me. And I think that's, that's maybe the path that some people need to take, like stop doing this should stop listening to the, all of those outside voices and give yourself the freedom to process and to heal. We all have to go through that no matter what the trauma is in our lives. Now, the next thing I would say about that is we do need to move towards healing. Um, any kind of trauma that we have in our lives, whether that's getting in a car accident, suffering through some kind of abuse in our past, um, like physical abuse or you know, even some kind of like embarrassing situation where it sort of scars us. Like it's not healthy to sit in that and just let it simmer. We need to work through it. That's why we have therapists. And I highly recommend um, getting professional therapy. If, if that's something that you feel like you need, take the steps because living in the infection is not going to get you anywhere. And nobody ever says it's okay to do that um, with any other kind of, uh, trauma and it never gets you anywhere. So that is not to discount anyone's experience. It's just to say like, how can you process through it and work through it and then seek God and see where he wants you to go next. Just be open to his voice and his leading. Is there a perfect church? Not until we get to heaven. <laughs> so no, there's not a perfect church, but there are healthy churches. And I think that's a, an important distinction. Um, there are some unhealthy churches. I wrote about some of those in the book. I have a couple of personal stories from girls, not girls, women who went to some unhealthy churches and I don't want you to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. What are some you of those signs? What would you say is a sign well, of an unhealthy church? Yeah. So I, there's a book I would recommend that I think can be helpful. It's called when Nar narcissism comes to the church. So um, that that's a good book just as a reference that to me, that kind of helped kind of spotlight some really negative characteristics you might see in a lead pastor or pastoral team. Um, but I think, you know, I, I personally, I don't like it when a church has like a real focus on like the pastor is like the star of the show. That's a red flag to me because it's not about him. I want a church that's more well-rounded, that's more, you know, kind of reliant on a, on a wider um, leadership team. Now it depends on, you know, how big your church is, right? So that makes a difference, but um, hold on a second. Hey, I'm busy. Go downstairs. Somebody's <laughs> <laughs> at my door, like, something like this. Um, and, and I actually have created a little course. So if you're watching this, um, I've created a free course, um, how to find a new church 101. And you can get that for free. If you have purchased the book, just um, go to ericaanderson.com and go to the <clears throat> reason to return tab. And you can find out where you can get that course for free, where I have a whole video section on red flags. Um, but I mean, things like, is your church really actually involved in the community? Are their finances transparent? You know, do they have, you know, the doctrinal beliefs that you know to be true? Um, and so there are a lot of things that you can sort of scope out and think about before you go um, or look back at and say, Hey, is this where we really 
want to go. And there's nothing wrong with reevaluating and figuring out where God might have for you. That's different. The church of your past doesn't have to be the church of your future. And I know this book is, is written um, for women to think about why they should return to church, but it's also for church leadership, current church leadership. You touched on that a little bit in the conversation because part of your title is the church needs women. So what do you want church leaders to know about the importance of women in their congregation? Yeah, I, you know, when I wrote this book, I was really not thinking about church leadership, but it turns out it's been a really, uh, it's been a topic of conversation. I've written all kinds of guest articles, at, you know, some church leadership magazines and things like that. And so, yeah, like I think so many times, as I said, a lot of times there's more men in leadership than women. Um, and I'm not making a commentary on that, but if that's the case, they need to be a lot more intentional about understanding women and where they're coming from and why they're leaving and what could possibly draw them back. And so I think this book offers a lot of insight into that. I am a woman, so I'm offering my perspective as um, a churchgoer, as a mother, as a woman who I've also been a single woman in the church, like for, you know, a fairly longer time in my life. And so I've been in all these different phases and places. Um, and I'm also sharing, you know, some of the stories of my own hurt. And so they can gain some insight there of like, what are some of those things that a lot of women have experienced, like my experience with purity culture or um, some of the other like weird evangelical things from the 90s? <laughs> right. No, and I think that's an important part. And, and like you were saying, so much uh, about church has to be, how do we create an environment for people to feel comfortable to talk about what's going on. And I know it can be tricky for church leadership because you don't necessarily want a pastor alone with a woman all the time. So there are different protections and things to think about in those terms. But I, I think especially as, as fewer women are getting married, learning how to care for women in that state is going to be mm -hmm. an important thing. And that's something that churches have to think about and how to, how to navigate that as the necessities and the needs of the church change um, dramatically yeah. as, as culture changes. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I think really thinking intentionally about like, how are we offering, you know, positions of, uh, you know, authority, not necessarily authority, but just like, where are we intentionally like asking women to be a part of this conversation? And also, as you say, um, you know, single women, less people getting married. Um, man, I think that if your church has, um, single women that, you know of, I think that church should be thinking about and praying about those women specifically, because we know that the Bible says to care for widows and whether or not they're actually a widow, they're a woman that is alone. And so the church is their family. I mean, I can tell you, um, as you know, from my church growing up, I always remember this group of people that they kind of seemed like misfits looking back. I mean, I was a kid, but like they all were, they, they were a little bit misfits in their own way, but they were all good friends. And I remember every Sunday after church, they would meet up and they would go out to lunch. And it's like, they created that family that they didn't have at home. And that is such a beautiful testament to what the church can be. Um, and also I would just say the church is one of the only places that you can truly show up, like no questions asked. And people have pushed back on that. They'll go, well, that's not true. Like a, in a, most churches, it is true. I don't like, I don't care who you are. Any church I've gone to, you are welcome to walk in. When I lived in Washington, DC, um, we had like several homeless members of our church, for example. Um, and so, you know, all the details aside, like most churches would welcome any person to walk through those doors and just have the opportunity to love them. That's why they're there. They're yeah. there to love people and to serve God. 
that is why they're there. There's no other reason. There's no other benefit. And so if you have been um, sort of dissuaded from attending church for some reason or another, like, I would just want you to know that you're welcome. You're invited. We want you there. Come to my church. If you live in Fishers, you're invited. (laughs) (laughs) And so to just kind of round out the conversation, curious what type of feedback you received so far, because I know people have read this in advance. What have people been saying about this book and how they think it can help people? Yes. Well, I actually just put up this fun TikTok. So I'm going to just, I'm going to read a couple of the quotes I've gotten because that'll make it easy. So, oops, that's the wrong one. Let me find it. Okay. So a couple of the things that people have said about this book so far, convincing and encouraging, refreshing and inspiring, truthful and loving, pragmatic and biblical, a beautiful and compelling vision, an advocate for the underserved in our church communities, compassionate, hopeful, practical. So those are just some of the things that people have been saying. I've got a few reviews on Goodreads. You can't put reviews on Amazon yet because um, it has to be available like for the public, but Goodreads um, has some, I've gotten some from there. I've gotten some from my endorsements and I've gotten such great feedback. Um, And then I was also able to be on Jamie Ivey's podcast the other day, which was really huge. Got some great feedback from that. Her podcast reaches like a gajillion people. So that was super cool. Um, but I think, you know, what I would say is that like, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a theologian. I'm not, um, you're not going to find like maybe, you know, the deepest fount of wisdom. I'm just a girl who God told to write a book about church. And I did. And I think that you'll find it encouraging and kind and compassionate. And um, it would mean the world to me if you read it and considered what it said. And just final question for you. What has it been like for you to go through this process of writing the book? Obviously it is, it's about God. It's about his church. What has your relationship been like with God throughout this? It has been a lot more communicative than it has in the past. Like I I would say, you know, a couple of years ago, I really deepened my relationship with God when I started to study theology and I started to read up on apologetics and I, you know, finally read the Bible in a year. I actually did it a couple of years ago and, and my Bible reading has really taken an uptick. If you looked at like a graph of my life, it would be like, so I think (laughs) I can't do this without that communication because it's like, you know, his strength is my strength. And I had no, I was under no illusion that this book would ever even come to be if it isn't for him. Um, like to get a second book deal is totally insane. Um, especially when my first book was not any kind of bestseller, um, it was going to take God to make this happen. And that's why I knew it was him because I couldn't have done it on my own by any means. And so, I definitely could be talking to him more. I definitely could be reading more scripture and praying more, but it's taken um, a definite turn for the positive. And so that has been really cool to see. And I'm excited to see what he does next week when it launches. And, um, you know, it's a pretty evergreen book. So for years to come, I hope. And I think it's a book for so many people because most of us, we're raised in church or at least have some connection to church, whether or not we're, we're currently going or not. And I think it's a question a lot of people ask themselves just as they go into different phases of life. 
where am I with God? And what does that mean? I think it's a, a question we all just innately ask because we all are going to worship something. I think that question about God and what does that mean is just an important one. And, and I can say this just from personal experience of knowing you, you say that you're not a scholar, but what you are is you're somebody who researches very thoroughly. So I know that you have the data in there and compassion is such a good word to describe the way you write. Um, you're a great writer. You're a compassionate writer. I know that this book comes from the heart. So I encourage people to, you could go ahead and pre-order it, but it is um, next Tuesday, which is the 17th is when it is officially out is called reason to return why women need the church and the church needs women. I think it's an encouraging book for so many people. Eric, I'm super excited for you. Thank you so much, Beverly. And yes, um, pre-orders are amazing. We need them and you get a free copy of the audiobook If you pre-order um, it's $15, but $15.99, something like that. Um, but what I've been saying is like, you know, we spend, you know, that much on Starbucks in a week and we spend $16 on, you know, the cute shirt at Target or whatever. But it's like, if you could spend $16 and, you know, read something that actually sort of helps you pivot your life in a positive way for the long term, like that's a really good $16 spent. Um, and not to mention, there's a whole bunch of other freebies that you get. Um, and also, if you're watching this and you know me and you want to support me, um, that would mean the world to me. So thank you so much, Beverly, for your thank support. You. Um, thank you for everyone that has um, been a part of this journey. And, you know, I say, I'll, I'll just read real quickly. I'm going to read the, um, read the uh, dedication in the beginning. It says, this book is dedicated to the churches, pastors, ministry leaders, small groups, faithful friends, mission trip buddies, and mentors who have helped me love God more through their presence, patience, and prayers. And there's, there's so many of you out there that I'm Facebook friends with. So I hope that you see this and I hope that you know who you are. So I guess that's it. So thanks guys. Go buy the book. Yes. We'll see you. I'll see you soon. This episode was brought to you in part by the table podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts, discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.